This is a special pandemic edition of Food First Michigan on News Talk 760 WJR. Sponsored by the Food Bank Council of Michigan, creating a food secure state, and by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan. Now, here are your hosts, Dr. Phil Knight and Jerry Brisson. Welcome, everyone, and thanks for listening. This is a special edition of Food First Michigan as we produce this show in the midst of the COVID-19 crisis here in Michigan and across America. For many, it is the first time in their lives they have personally been confronted with a widespread calamity. It is not my first time. I think this may be my third, if not my fifth, major health outbreak that has walked into my life no matter how unwelcomed I've tried to make it feel. I've lived and worked in Africa for nine and a half years, and on two different occasions, Ebola came to the country that I was living in and began to kill without remorse. Its fatality rate was 100% through the first seven generations of the infection. I can tell you without being a medical doctor or an infectious disease expert, COVID-19 is not Ebola because it's different. And in some ways it is even more evil than its counterpart because it seeks the most vulnerable and uses the healthy to carry out its intention. I shared with my 86-year-old father-in-law who has accomplished much in his life and in his field. He overcame major odds to be more influential and successful in his life, and this virus is looking for him. He must stay at home. COVID-19 is unrelenting and unmerciful to our seniors, and we must protect them. These types of situations do many things to us. They change us. They alter us. And often we are resistant to the change or knowledge it offers to us about us. COVID-19's arrival on our shores is an opportunity to grow, learn, understand, while it reveals to us our essence. This is not like watching a movie. There is no third-party bystanders, no spectators to this drama. We are all players, active participants in this unfolding drama. COVID-19 not only reveals our essence and develops our character, it also offers us perspective. It has the uncanny ability to shrink things that we thought were so important and maximize the things that are truly important, things like relationships. Our network, represented by the seven CEOs of the food banks that serve Michigan's 83 counties, are close. But now, we are together. Not physically, because we all believe in social distancing, but we are together at a much deeper level than even a month ago. This horrible virus This pandemic has made us tight, working together, supporting one another, and believing in one another. I hope you are seizing the opportunity to not only see what it reveals in us and about us, but also grab hold of the things that it brings to us, like perspective, appreciation, and the ability to galvanize together to protect one another 
by staying away from one another. Strange logic, but nonetheless true. Jerry Brisson joins me in our WJR phone line in just a moment. Welcome back, everyone. Dr. Phil Knight with Jerry Brisson. We are on the WJR phone lines with our extraordinary producer, Mark Blackwell, there in the studio. And uh, we're happy to come to you. And this is a special edition, as I shared in the monologue of Food First Michigan. And Jerry, um, our network has risen to the challenge all across the state of Michigan to try to come alongside of folks who not only are having a who traditionally have a little more month than money but now we're finding new populations coming us to us for help as well yeah it's certainly unusual as far as um, the types of emergencies that we've dealt with in the past and probably the most unusual aspect of it is how many people are impacted one way or the other So, you know, take schools, you know, schools close every summer and when schools close in the summer, families need more food. And we have all across the state programs in place to help reach school children and their families during the summer. So that's something we're pretty used to doing. And we have lots of partnerships in place and and we know how to ramp those things up pretty quickly. Well, that population, just that one population that that has, you know, every year, some amount of time where they have extra need, is coming out at about twice the rate as they normally do when schools close. Well, why is that? Well, because there's more need than just the schools closing, right? That you have compounding needs, one thing influencing the next, that means significantly more people need help than normal just for the schools being closed. So we start to pick that apart and say, okay, what can we understand about this so that we can make sure we're reaching people where they are in the way that we can best serve the community? And of course, it's a little bit of a moving target because we're learning new things really literally every single day. We set up just in Southeast Michigan, 50 new sites and you know, probably a third of them, we didn't get as many people as we thought. But on a third of them, we got three times as many people as we thought. So that kind of data, and right, we talk about being data-driven all the time. But that kind of data helps us tweak our plan, understand better what are the dynamics in the community, and and then serve them better. So, you know, it's just just an, uh, an unusual emergency. Well, unusual is probably way understated. Um, we're, we, we have to learn. We can't just implement a plan. We really have things we're learning every day, every day. Well, Jerry, I often say, uh, as one of my doctor philippisms is that it does no good to steer a parked car. I mean, <laughs> well, there is truth off. to that. You know, you can turn that wheel as much as you want to the left or to the right. And, but if you're not moving, it really makes no difference whatsoever. But if you're, if you're moving in the right direction, 
a little nudge of the wheel will help you adjust to the correct lane. And I think that's what our network has done. We, 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 we rose to the occasion and we started setting up additional distributions all across the state. And now as the data starts to come in, we're nudging the wheel. We're getting to the right lane to make sure we get the right amount of food, the right kinds of food to the right places where the people are having access to it. And so, you know, this is, nobody's going to do this work absolutely perfectly the first time. The thing that makes me so proud of our network is how the leadership has risen to the occasion to in order to meet the need. And when we're not doing it perfectly, we're willing to nudge the wheel. Yeah, I really like the metaphor of, uh, of you can't, you know, you can't steer a parked car. It doesn't matter how you steer it if it's parked. Our cars are racing down the road at about 90 miles an hour, and it's slick, baby. (laughs) (laughs) So let's just say every nudge is moving a lot of things. And, of course, that's who we are. We are organizations that deal with things at scale. Right. We we don't do tens of people or hundreds of people. We do thousands of people at a time when we ramp up these programs, because that's how big the need is. You know, the 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 numbers of people um, who who need assistance are truly astounding. I mean, it's eight hundred thousand kids across the state of Michigan. And that's and that's at the at the lowest level you can consider what need might be. If you look at people who maybe aren't at absolute, you know, poverty, that number doubles pretty fast. And so you're, you really do have this scale, which is hard to imagine until you're in the middle of it. And then when you add to, again, the normal um, challenges that people face, all of these other things that are coming down the pipe, it really is, um, something to behold now, you know, without, again, you know, I, I don't want to just talk about our, the, the challenges we face because another part of our truth is that people are stepping up to help and we're finding ways to get this done. And yeah, we have things to learn, but we also have a lot of expertise that we can, that we can bring to bear. And so, as you were saying, doctor, it's really amazing to see how much can be done. And as we learn, we're going to be able to get more done and, you know, and as we face challenges, we're going to learn more. So, uh, you know, there's work to be done. Um, one of the things we talked about probably three times this week, just, just you and I and the rest of the food bankers, is the food supply chain and what's yep. happening with the food supply chain. And so, you know, there's food available, but there's changes, I mean, and, you know, serious challenges because, well, you've got a little bit of panic buying going on. So people are in the store not just getting what they need or normally use, but they're getting four, five, six times what they need or what they normally use. Well, that's a lot of people getting a lot of product that the food pipeline, which is pretty efficient and works very well and much of it on very low margins, has to respond to. And they are. But lead times are longer. And the more people feel like, oh, I better get another two weeks of food the more challenging it makes it for the rest of us who are trying to serve people that don't have the income to do that. And so prices are going up. The, the lead times are getting longer. 
And that makes it harder to serve people who are truly in need. Well, let me see if I can under, if I understand what you're saying to us. Um, panic buying, if you would allow that term, um, hoarding, buying more than we could ever possibly use and need in a, in a shorter space of time is really leading to a greater problem in the supply chain. It's not helping, it's hurting actually. And particularly for those of us who are involved in procuring food resources uh, in order to save, to serve those who are struggling and don't have the resources to just go and buy massive amounts of, of material and food and, and things of that nature. So I think what you're asking us to do as the public is, is just to understand that the supply chain is, is working as long as we're just doing normal buying. Is that what I'm hearing, Jerry? Yeah. That's exactly right. Things will snap back to, to normal in no time if people just buy what they need and don't buy more. Yeah, right. that's really a simple request. But, like, look at what you're going to eat this week and buy that. And don't, you know, don't don't buy another two weeks beyond that. I mean, it's uh, it really does make it more difficult for for people who really and truly need help. We got to keep. We got to keep some of the food available for for you know the food banks and the other food food organizations out here who are trying to reach people that don't have the resources to just go to the store and and fill up their pantry and their garage and their attic and every other space they have available <laughs> with food. Right. So so what we're asking our listeners, our WJR listeners and beyond, and those who hear us on the podcast, is be assured that the food supply is, is uh, the supply chain is plentiful. There's no need to panic buy. There's no need to hoard. Just conduct yourselves as you normally would. We're gonna be okay. But if you do engage in that type of activity, you're really hurting your hungry neighbors. All right, well, we wanna talk about more that work, there's work to be done. Uh, here across this this great state of Michigan and how we're coming alongside of our hungry neighbors and how we're getting more hungry neighbors that are coming to us from different populations. And one of the things I want to talk about in an upcoming segment, Jerry, with you is the need of our, our very special population, and that's our senior citizens. He's Jerry Brisson. I'm Dr. Phil Knight, and we're back on Food First Michigan. In just a moment, you come back and be with us. Contact the Food Bank Council of Michigan at fbcmich.org. Now back to more Food First Michigan with Dr. Phil Knight and Jerry Brisson. Thanks for listening, everyone. Dr. Phil Knight with Jerry Brisson right here on Food First Michigan, heard on WJR and across our podcast. Thanks for downloading and subscribing off of Apple Podcast. Uh, we are giving you this show today uh, in the midst of the COVID-19 crisis across Michigan. And Jerry, we're talking about there's work to do. And uh, we talked a little bit about how our listeners could help with uh, something very specific. And that is to kind of kind of chill a little bit and understand that the supply chain is, is okay. It's there. And, um, and if we do uh, hoard or do some panic buying, it really makes our job in the emergency food world much harder. And so I'm counting on people to really just 
to do that for us and with us. But then there's a little bit more work to do that we want to we want to talk about as well. Right. So you mentioned seniors in the last segment as the segment was winding down, and that is a really important uh, part of the population that that we're building a plan around serving. One of the issues in serving seniors is that there's a lot of congregate feeding sites. Now, that's kind of a cold way of saying places where people can gather and eat together. Social isolation is an issue that's frequently talked about among seniors. And so a lot of programs for seniors have been set up to get people together, give them someone to talk to, you know, make sure they have daily interactions with people. And that's a really important part of making sure that that population is healthy and happy and at their best. So this crisis really affects that population in more than one way. First of all, it it takes those social interactions away. It discourages them. But that means all of the infrastructure that's in place to provide meals in those settings is not at work right now. That, that those, those meals that would be provided in those settings are not happening because people can't come and get those meals. And so you can't just put a meal on the table and watch it sit, right? So right. figuring out how to use the infrastructure that's there to continue to provide the food people need, even in the midst of this kind of a crisis, is a really important challenge, and there's work to be done there. In the meantime, how do we get groceries that are that are um, simple to cook and you know not too taxing as far as um, some of the people that that we're trying to serve? You know, they can they might even struggle to open a can because of arthritis or some other things that are happening to them. So, so how do we start to really look at that population and what their capacity is and and create a solution? that's aligned with everybody's capacity and dietary needs and all the other things you have to think about when you start to put the plan together. And of course, that's something we haven't had to do quite in this way before. So there's work to be done. We're talking with the state of Michigan. Uh, Food banks are talking with people who provide services to seniors all over the state to try to figure out where do we best fit in terms of the solution for this group. Yeah, and I'd I'd have to say that those conversations are unprecedented, and I really appreciate the leadership of Dr. Alexis Travis at the Department of Health and Human Services, who has been very open to these conversations. Um, Paula Cunningham, the CEO and president for the uh, AARP of Michigan, really helping facilitate those conversations. And then our own Dr. Dawn Opal, who's on staff at the Food Bank Council, who has really taken the leadership role on behalf of the Food Bank Network to help us find uh, and build a, a process and where what gaps can we fill in order to make sure that we get the right food to the senior population in the right way. So I think that that's going to uh, entail um, – really building an entirely new process because of what you said, that, that many of them are used to going to the, the, the Senior Citizen Community Center and having their meal, and those are closed. They're not able to open because of the safety protocols. And I want to be really careful here, Jerry, that there is no criticism in our voice at all here. We're just simply seeing a need that's rising 
and people that are calling and reaching out through 211, the United Way network of how to, um, you know, receive help. And we're seeing calls to our own food banks rise and a gap that, that's uh, emerging. And I appreciate everyone who's been a part of these conversations, um, Dr. Alexis Travis and, and others that have come right alongside of the Food Bank Council, recognized the need and willing to have a conversation that, quite frankly, we've never had before. You know what? We we both like our sayings, doctor, and there's a reason for it. You know, they're little truisms, right? So one of the yeah. sayings is, the less you know about a problem, the easier it is to solve, right? <laughs> That's one of our right. sayings. When you actually have to get in and solve the problem, and you start to break it down into, okay, who needs what kind of help, when and how? It gets to be a little uh, thornier than just saying, oh, you need this much food to go there. You know what I mean? So, but that's right. all right. That's the work to be done. And, 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 um, and as you say, there's, there's good partners with us on this path. Uh, we certainly have our healthcare partners as well, but imagine the challenges they're going through. Um, and you can see there's, you know, the system that typically serves seniors on lots of levels is pretty taxed right now. So, so there's work to be done and we're going to do the right. work. And, you know, plans are coming together right now for here's where we fit in. Here's how we can get food to people when they need it. Here's how we can make sure it's the right food. And, and every day it continues to develop and we continue to serve more people. So, so that's, uh, that's seniors. Now we have another group, and that's the record high unemployed. It is, well, and not only record high, but like five times the record. Yeah, so so that, you know we're we're talking about that in terms of of waves, right? How this pandemic is affecting emergency food. Wave one was the students, um, particularly the populations at school that received free and reduced lunch, and their families. And we've come alongside the Michigan Department of Education, uh, their Office of uh, Health and Nutritional Services to to help shore that up and really meet a great need across the state. Now wave two comes and we talked about seniors and how we're working with uh, the different groups that serve that population. But now comes a group, a part of wave two that are not used to navigating the emergency food network. And that's headlined, I think, by the people that are now finding themselves unemployed. And in total for the country, 3.28 million people have filed for unemployment claims between March 15th and March 21st. In Michigan, that's 129,298 claims from March 15th through March 21st. Again, record numbers. And, and so these folks are going to find themselves in need of some food assistance as they they get ready to start to pay their bills. And so um, I think that that's a, a different population for us to serve. I think it's folks that are coming from the service industry, the bar and the restaurants. Uh, I think it's employees of, of uh, small businesses across Michigan. And I think that it's a, a lot of the gig workers, the contract workers that um, we all have a part of our, our business networks. So this it's a new population and they're learning how to negotiate our network and we're learning how to serve them the best that we can. 
Well, and there is some relief, right? The the state of Michigan has has passed some important relief legislation, and the governor has uh, done her job to extend unemployment benefits and make sure people who her specific orders to stay home and other things are affecting will get unemployment help and, and other services they need. But here's what food banks do. We live between the cracks, right? We live in those places where there is help, but people don't know how to get help. And in the meantime, they need to eat. So mm-hmm. our work has always been in that space um, to try to make sure that while people are learning and adjusting and, and understanding their new reality, there's something for them to make it through this particular challenge. The question is, how many people are going to fit in there? And that's what we don't know because the situation is so unique. We've never encountered this kind of a volume um, of change so fast. Even during the Great Recession, where you did see a lot of uh, unemployment happen all of a sudden and something like 400,000 jobs were lost in a pretty short period of time. And, you know, that created a pretty, pretty dynamic and pretty big uh, crisis situation. Still, this is bigger. And so, so we're, you know, trying to, trying to, you know, reach people where they are, how they need to be reached. And of course it is what we do, but there is work to do. Yeah, it's kind of ironic, don't you think, Jerry, that our network is set up to do work to scale, as you said earlier, not hundreds, not thousands, not tens, you know, I mean, just scale the work across the entire state. But yet we're also gap fillers. They're finding need that they've never really encountered before. And uh, so, again, I think for folks who are listening to this podcast and, and on WJR, that if you need help, 211 is your first call. 211 will help find, help you find the resources, particularly for emergency food in and across the state of Michigan. And we're thankful for our partners at the United Way. So Jerry and I are back in just a moment. You come back and be with us. We're talking about COVID-19, how the Food Bank Council of Michigan's network has stepped up. We're talking about the work to do and the role to play. You come back and find out in just a moment. Food first, Michigan. Once again, here's Phil and Jerry. Welcome back, everyone. Jerry Brisson, Dr. Phil Knight here with you. Uh, Thanks for listening and being a part of this special edition of our Food First Michigan show during the COVID-19 crisis. Jerry, we've got work to do, and we have all of us have a role to play. Uh, and but you know, there's there's folks out there that are absolutely under uh, Governor Whitmer's her Executive Order 202021 uh, that that really asks us all to stay at home. And um, and we we didn't use the term shelter in place, but that's essentially what. We're doing. We're all sheltering in place as much as possible. I certainly hope we're all doing that. But there are some elements of our society that are deemed essential and must be moving around. And certainly the food banks and our drivers and the people who are coming to the warehouse to work are all deemed essential by our governor. And they're doing that work. And I, of course, I've, I've done several interviews on the media across the week, and you have 
And one of the emphasis that I've always tried to make is that, you know, God bless our healthcare workers, our pharmacists, our grocery store people, and adding to that list of heroes are the people that are doing the work in and through the food bank network. Yeah, I mean, all of those people are um, exposing themselves to a little more danger than average. And, of mm-hmm. course, with testing, really not there yet. So we, we don't know exactly who has it. And we know that some people can have no symptoms at all and, and be carrying it around. Um, anybody that we deem essential, anybody that we ask to stay out, we need to acknowledge them. We need to thank them. We need to tell them we appreciate them. And, of course, they're keeping the the basic needs um uh, available for us all, right? I mean, and Absolutely. and there's so and there's so many pieces of that. And I'm really glad you mentioned all the people you did. Um, and and you know, I would come back and and really go right to the beginning of the food supply chain in this. Um, we don't we don't often think of our rural populations when we when we think about you know the widespread nature of this. But but there, you know, I think about the farmers out in the field. And, you know, they, they can't stop working, right? And it's it's getting to be that time where it's almost time to plant. They have to be they have to be mindful and planful. And obviously we're hoping we're not gonna have another horribly rainy spring. And, you know, there's there's those stresses are still there um and have to be managed in light of all the other things we have to do. So I really my heart goes out to our farmers as well and as they're getting ready to to keep our food supply chain going and and keep us all healthy and it's a lot it's a lot well i i was on a couple of calls with uh, the michigan department of agriculture and rural development and their director doc uh director gary mcdowell who's been a a frequent guest on our show particularly last spring and early fall when we were going through throw so many different um weather challenges across Michigan. And, um, you know, life is hard often for our farmers. It's hard for the ag business community, period. And and when we have talk about all the different weather challenges that we've uh, encountered, and then you throw in the, 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 the pricing and the tariffs war between us and other countries, all this has been extremely difficult, and I just want to remind everyone that a lot of that is still going on. And now we throw a pandemic on top of them, and yet they're 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 preparing their equipment, they're preparing their fields, they're getting ready to plant, and and all of that, of course, is dependent on weather, something that none of us can can control. Um, and and then and then I get a note. Uh, in an email from the our 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 show sponsor, uh, Michigan Farm Bureau, uh, and the Michigan Farm Bureau family of companies, specifically the Agents Charitable Fund, um, as well as the family of companies, have established a, a, a fund that they're going to match, and they they've dropped fifty thousand dollars into that themselves, and they're they're going to match that for any gifts that come because. You know, it's just it's just humbling to me, Jerry, that that here is an an industry that gives so much all the time to our society and our community. They feed us, and yet here they come alongside of us with their treasure as well. 
So this really leads into one of the most important things to say, and that is there really is hope. I mean, there's work to do, and we've just talked a lot about the work there is to do, but there's also hope. And the Agents Charitable Fund is one of the reasons that we can hope. And other people who are stepping up to say, how can we help right now? And, and we are filling some very specific and limited volunteer roles with managers and leaders in, in key areas, because as we scale up, you know, we can't, we can't just have all of the leadership that we need on staff all the time. So, so we're tapping some of those people to really step in while, while they can have very limited exposure, but still make a big difference for this essential work that has to be ongoing. And that's a reason to hope. And another reason to hope is we are resilient. We are capable. We are people who are, not just um, very well educated because that's just a piece, but also we're, we're motivated to be our best in so many ways. And, and we see it in so many ways as, as people step forward, certainly with donations, but with ideas, with, um, and, and, you know, even with new ways to meet our challenges. Right. And so um, Mm -hmm. as we get through this day by day by day, I want to express there's reasons to hope and that we're going to get through this and we're going to get through this together. The amount of love and genuine concern is truly amazing. It, it is truly amazing. Uh, Jerry, just to close this segment out, there's a couple of folks I think we have to highlight. I think um, our governor, Gretchen Whitmer, has, 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 is leading. And, um, you know, I, I, you know, she's an easy target for, for criticism, but I'm telling you, she stepped up and come right alongside of our network. Consumers Energy, as I said, the Michigan Farm Bureau family of companies, uh, the Department of Health and Human Services, the Michigan Department of Education, particularly the Office of Health and Nutritional Services, the, and and so many, many individuals. Um, uh, Coach uh, Kyle McKe- uh, Coach Kyle Kasky from from the Detroit Lions is 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 taking a personal interest. It's, it's a lot of reason to hope, and and I'm filled with that hope, and I want everyone, as you said, to be filled with that as well. We're going to get through this. We're going to get through it together, and we want you to come back for our last segment as Jerry and I wrap up this special edition of Food First Michigan. Can't thank you enough for listening to our show today, a special edition of Food First Michigan during the COVID-19 crisis here in Michigan, affecting all of us across America. I said in the monologue, it's uh, probably one of the first nationwide calamities that many of us have ever experienced. Um, I shared that it's not my first. Jerry, I don't think it's your first, but this is a very unique crisis for us as a people. And... I'm really grateful for all the people who are playing a role, all the first responders, all the people who are putting themselves at more risk because they want to help and support the community in the best possible ways. And, you know, we all have a role to play. There's nobody immune. You know, even if your role is to stay home, that's a really important role to play. 
Stop panic buying. That's a really important role to play. Make a gift to your local food bank. That's a really important role to play. And if you're one of the essential businesses, go to work, do an excellent job. That's a really important role to play. Yep. I think for all of us to wash our hands often and uh, practice social distancing. And if you don't have to move, don't. You know, that's. I think that's it's really very, I don't think we can understand how important that really is. Time for a little food for thought. That great philosopher Spock once said, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few are the one. It is in that sense how we conduct ourselves during this pandemic not only reveals a lot about who we are or aren't, but it also brings reality to our doorstep. It is not logical. We are doers in America. We are workers. We are problem solvers. We are fixers. But in this instance, the less we do, the more we help. The less you move, the better off our health care providers will be, as well as our families, friends, and fellow Americans. So unless you have essential status, Stay home, stay safe, and save lives. If not yours, maybe mine. Trust us, we will call you when we need you. I guess one thing COVID-19 has revealed is the need for food to be first in Michigan. Folks, food first. Thanks for listening.